Good morning, church. <laughs> Great to be with you. Do you want me to just sit here and be quiet? Yeah, please. Okay, all right. Uh, what I was saying was... It's been a great time together this morning. I always love it when we have a chance to, to read scripture over one another and, uh, and just to have the opportunity to elevate and lift high the name of the Lord in that way. It's really great, really great start. And uh, as Pastor Dan mentioned, uh, this morning is part two of our Remember My Change series, taking an in-depth look at uh, persecution and what it means. And last, as we did last week, we took a look at what persecution is and specifically what it isn't. We made the distinction that we here in Canada have not yet begun to experience faith-based persecution. Correct. And, uh, and this morning, we have the opportunity to expand on that a little bit. And we're going to be asking four questions that will hopefully get us thinking practically about this in our own lives, but then also get us thinking actively about the people, the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have around the world who are facing persecution in their daily lives. And so that's what we're going after this morning. And the reality of this is that the Western church is largely unaware of the scope, of the scale of persecution that we are seeing in the world today. And just for example, uh, the number of Christians who have been killed just over the past few years for their faith, specifically in the Middle East, is bordering on genocide-level numbers. And it's, it's quite alarming. It's quite shocking. And it's, for the most part, going unreported. And, uh, and, you know, certainly an aspect of that is the fact that we are living in a day and age right now where the elites in our society and certainly kind of the culture as a whole would be more accommodating of a day to recognize those persecuted for, say, as an example, Islam, than they would to recognize the fact that there is a significant Christophobia, a fear of Christianity, a fear of Jesus Christ in our world today. Mm-hmm. And the world around us is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us that we know about and stand with our brothers and sisters across the globe because we would be a naive at best if we thought that this wouldn't make its way over here to Canada eventually. And so that's what we're going to be discussing this morning. It's crucial for us to know not only the scope of what's going on across the world today, but also how to respond when it comes. And we'll talk about that this morning. And also, it's important for us to have the right attitude toward it. Uh, because Jesus said it best when he sent out his disciples in Matthew ten sixteen. He says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that last part is really what we're going after this morning. We want to be wise to know what's coming and how best to prepare for it. And we want to know and we want to be, be absolutely sure that we are innocent as doves, that there is nothing in our lives that would come between again, or come against other than the faith that we treasure, the faith that we proclaim, and the faith that we hold dear with our very lives. And so that's what we're going after this morning. Uh, we're going to spend time discussing that, and then we also have the opportunity to take the Lord's table together after this service as well, or after this sermon as well. So make sure that you're preparing your hearts for that. But before we get started, why don't I pray for us, and then mm-hmm. we'll dive into this first question. Father, we thank you for this morning, and as I said already, God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here, to be able to have the opportunity to worship and open up your word Mm -hmm. as we do this morning when there are so many around the world who are doing so today in fear. Mm -hmm. Father, what a blessing that is, a blessing that we often take for granted. And Father, today we pray that by your spirit, you would be encouraging and strengthening those around the world who are facing persecution (coughs) for their faith. We pray, Father, today that as we discuss these things, as we consider all of them in our context, I pray, God, that you be challenging our faith. 
That God, you would be igniting in our lives the passion and desire for the gospel, the fervor of faith, so that no matter the circumstances that may come our way this week or years from now, we would be passionately on fire for you. But then, God, not only that, I pray, Lord, that you would just rise up a heart of unity in this church and in the church around the world Mm -hmm. as we seek to support, love on, and care for those who are facing persecution for the faith that we hold dear. So God, would you do a mighty work in this place by your word, we pray in your son's name. Amen. 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 Well, that was a good setup for us. So as we said, we have four questions here. Let's get after the first one uh, right out of the gate here. How are Christians uh, blessed by persecution? And um, because I, th- I think that we're going to struggle with this concept that, that somehow under persecution we're blessed in a pretty particular way. And, and locking down what the word blessed means, I have God's favor, I have all the gifts that he intends for me, I am receiving from him what is for my welfare and my well-being. That's what, what it means to be blessed. Everything God wants me to have that's for my well-being, I have that. All of God's favor is being shown toward me. That's what it means to be blessed. And, um, and it's true that the way I see that, in other words, what I would count as blessings and what God might count as blessings for me, that those two things might actually look different from time to time. In other words, that God and I may not agree on what exactly constitutes a blessing in my life. What God thinks is for my well-being might be different than what I think is for my well-being. Does that all make sense? Yeah, we often disagree with God on this point. From our limited human perspective, persecution seems incompatible with being blessed. How, how if, I am, if I am facing being beaten for worshiping Jesus, if I am facing um, imprisonment for that, or I'm facing f- being fined as a result of my love for Jesus, or oppressed, or maligned, or spat upon, or if I'm separated from my family, or if I've lost friends, or lost property, or lost possessions as a result of my faith in Christ. These are all things that we would count as as blessings. But if all of those get taken away, and I am facing that kind of persecution oppression, how in the world could I consider myself to be a blessed person? And yet, That's exactly what Jesus tells us. In fact, tailing off from the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, blessed are you, blessed are you, okay, you have everything you need, God's welfare is coming your way, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you get to count yourself in a great company, and, and you and that great company have this future eternal reward that's coming your way. It's awesome. And, and so one of the ways that we're blessed is that we know that our future is going to be amazing. God's guaranteeing it, our eternity. And then Peter wrote this, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This isn't strange. This is, this is, 
This is normal for Christians. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, you're blessed here and now. You have the spirit of of God residing in you and empowering you and giving you the very presence of God. And because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have peace that nothing in this world could provide for you. You have hope that transcends anything you could possibly go through in this love, it, life. You have the love of God, which this world would never show you anything like that. You have intimacy with the Father. And you have, we referred to this last week, you have an uncluttered life because you're, you're seeing that all those other things that you've added into your life amount to zero. And when they're taken away, what I'm left with is Christ. What I'm left with is, is the spirit of glory and that rests upon me and I realize I have everything I really need in him. And, and so in that sense, in that very real and the best possible sense, I'm blessed when I'm being persecuted. And that's in fact what we see in the lives of people who are being persecuted today Last week, we looked at some biblical examples of persecution. We looked at some long-ago historical examples of persecution. And now we want to lock down on some contemporary examples of persecution. People who are alive today who are experiencing persecution around the world. You want to set that up. Question two is this. Where is persecution happening in the world today? And um, this, really the people today are being, they're, they're following in, on, on, the, uh, on the backs of those who were faithful in the past. And Hebrews 11 is this great chapter on heroes of the faith that the preacher talks about, um, the preacher of Hebrews. And he says others, in amongst that list of all the Old Testament heroes we know, he says others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, I love this phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. Just such amazing followers of Christ, amazing people, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, this is important, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They did not receive what was promised. In other words, they preached about Messiah coming. These are Old Testament believers. They preached about the coming of Messiah. They preached about the hope that they as the Jewish people had and the hope that this world had in that Jewish Messiah. But they never saw him. It was never fulfilled in their lifetime. And in fact, not only was it not fulfilled, but they suffered greatly for having preached that message of hope. And yet they were commended for their faith like so many today. And that really sets us up to hear these stories. Well, yeah, exactly. And you're exactly right when you say so many today. And uh, we have four specific examples that we're going to go through uh, for you of, of 
Christians being persecuted today. But before we do that, I want to kind of frame up for you, in a sense, the scale at which this is occurring. And so we have three images on the screen that come from opendoors.org, uh, which is an organization that we'll be pointing you to, along with two other ones, that has really, that really leads the way in terms of letting the world know about the scale and scope of persecution. And so the, the image that you're looking at first here is a map of the world with uh, three different colors that indicate the levels of persecution uh, that some of the countries in our world are facing today. Now, Open Doors puts out a world watch list, they call it, which details the top 50 countries that are experiencing the highest levels of persecution. That's what we're seeing here. And obviously, in, in terms of the greatest level of extreme persecution, that's all the countries noted in red there. The Middle East is, is certainly the one that, that sees the most of that, um, with obviously Asia and Africa close behind. And 144 out of 194 countries, I mentioned this last week, I think, uh, 144 of the 194 countries in our world today has, have some hostility toward Christians or toward faith in Christ. These are the top 50 in terms of the, le- the highest level of persecution that we're seeing in our world today. So breaking this down kind of a little bit more, we have some numbers here for you. This is looking at 2018 uh, to 2019. There's a, a growth of approximately 14% in terms of the number of Christians in the top 50 countries on the world watch list who experience high levels of persecution. And that translates into approximately 30 million more Christians are facing high levels of persecution from 2018 to 2019, Mm. uh, to 245 million people. And that's one in nine Christians experiencing high levels of persecution, which is significant. And then uh, just kind of some more numbers for you. During the World Watch 2019 reporting period, this is happening in the top 50 countries that um, that Open Doors have, have been tracking with. Uh, 4,136 Christians have, were killed for faith-related reasons. That's 11 Christians per day on average. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings were attacked, and 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. And so the, the scope of this, the scale, like we said already, is, is significant. Mm-hmm. And um, this is happening to a lot of people, a lot of Christians around the world. And uh, in one of the most recent uh, events of this, of course, many of you, I'm sure, will remember the, the bombings that happened in Sri Lanka over Easter of this past year. Um, Catherine Pepinster wrote this in the National Post and talking about the kinds of persecutions. And please note, first of all, that this is coming from the National Post, which is a secular news agency. And, and I should say, too, like not just the National Post, but we're seeing reporting in the BBC and the Washington Post and uh, Newsweek, and it's all across the secular media. They're finally kind of taking notice of what's happening That's in right. the world. And, and, I mean, we would still definitely say that a number of these, of these examples that we'll touch on here are going completely unreported. Uh, but at least uh, absolutely what you said is right. We are seeing some people report on these things. But anyways, Catherine Pepinster wrote this. The persecution takes various forms. The bloodshed of Sri Lanka was of a particular kind. It was well organized with four churches bombed as well as Western-style hotels and well-planned. A religious holiday was the date underlined in the bomber's calendar. Elsewhere, in such countries as Bosnia and Herzegovina, Christians are tolerated but suffer discrimination in such areas as employment, and in many countries there is state oppression by political regimes. The future of Christianity is particularly grim in the North Africa and the Middle East, the very cradle of Christianity. In Egypt, the Copts, who belong to one of the most ancient Christian traditions, have been targeted over and over again after centuries of living peacefully with their Muslim neighbors. 
In China, the communist political regime is responsible for oppression akin to that within the USSR. The government attempts to monitor and control the practice of religion through state-sanctioned patriotic Catholic and patriotic Protestant churches. But most of the country's 100 million Christians belong to unregistered churches which are regularly closed down and members detained in camps. So the reason we're talking about all this and the reason we're touching on this is to help us understand that persecution takes various forms. And when we think about it, often we think of persecution and we go to the violent kind, akin to that of uh, the early church martyrs or those that were burned at the stake during the Reformation. But persecution certainly takes various forms in our world today. And uh, in one of those places that uh, Catherine mentioned that I want to highlight for you this morning, like I said, we have four stories here for you, uh, is that in China. And uh, China is an officially atheist state. And we're seeing increasing levels of specifically political persecution against Christians there. Now, while officially China comes in at number 27 on Open Doors' world watch list, um, this is a a situation that is is significant for us uh, because of the sheer size of the country and then also because of our, and when I say our, I mean us as a whole as a country, our economic and trade ties to the country. And because we have a significant economic and trade relationship with the country of China, our government regularly closes their eyes or turns away from the blatant religious freedom violations that are happening in China. And the persecution of Chinese Christians is rising from the political power of the day, the openly atheist, as I mentioned, Chinese Communist Party. And the CCP has made life increasingly difficult for professing Christians over the past few years, ushering in strict and specific standards of how and when churches are supposed to meet. And if they don't do that, if the churches don't follow those sanctions, they are faced with uh, heavy sanctions on top of that and persecution uh, That goes above and beyond, including uh, threats to the personal safety of their members and of the the building as a whole. And one of the the stories that I've been following more closely when it comes to this is that of Early Rain Covenant Church and their pastor, Wang Yi. And uh, Early Rain is an underground megachurch of about 5,000 people in Chengdu, China. And uh, Early Rain, interestingly enough, are, are, are... particularly passionate about proclaiming the gospel even under the heavy sanctions to the lost um, with complete disregard for the unlawful sanctions that are put upon them. In fact, actually, Pastor Yi in one of his sermons, and this is actually the church right here that we have on the screen, uh, Pastor Yi in one of his sermons asked one of the questions that I know that you have asked of us uh, recently. Uh, He said, if tomorrow morning the early rain covenant church suddenly disappeared from the city of Chengdu, if each of us vanished into thin air, would this city be any different? Would anyone miss us? That's the hard attitude of this church. They're so passionate about going out and proclaiming the gospel and getting people to see who Jesus is and what he's called them to that, that for them, they are completely disregarding uh, the sanctions put on them. Just two months later, after Pastor Wang Yi preached that sermon in October, he, his wife, and some hundred other members of the church were arrested. Uh, some of the members tortured in seeking to... Uh, have them turn on their pastor as they were seeking to cite him on subversion to state power, which is a charge that carries at least a 10-year sentence. And along with the threat of, because this obviously is all too familiar in China, along with the threat of being arrested, churches all over the country have lost their crosses, 
They are forced to sing patriotic songs to the state in their worship services. They're forced to hang the Chinese flag in their churches, and they've even had minors barred from entering their churches. And many pastors at risk to their own personal safety have reported that their sermons are often censored. Uh, one pastor actually, um, he went out and actually said that, that the state forced him to take the phrase, God created heaven and earth, out of his sermon. That's foundational to our faith, to what we believe. And he was told that he needed to put more pro-state sentences, statements in his messages. And uh, so on top of all of that, home churches have been bulldozed or like early rains building. They are often converted into something completely different, shut down and and changed. Early Rain Covenant Church, this beautiful church that we see right here, is now uh, the home office for a construction company. Where there was a pulpit, there's now a ping pong table. And uh, they, they now have armed guards standing watch. And the reasoning behind all of this is that the state of China, the, the, the Chinese Communist Party, is seeking to keep Western influence out of their country. And they believe that Christianity is a conduit for that. Hmm. And so in doing so, they heavily restrict the movement of Christianity through their country. But in the midst of it all, the gospel continues to go forth and people continue to come to Jesus Christ. Pastor Samuel Lamb, who is uh, the, the pastor of a church in Wangzhou, China, said this, which is so poignant, I think, and sums this all up. In America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and growing stronger. Persecution is much better than prosperity, he said. I don't think we believe that, though, do we? I don't think so either. Yeah. All right, that's China. Um, We have quite a number of families in our church who um, come from Nigeria and Nigeria is um, a hot spot for persecution in the world. Uh, Nigeria is actually a divided country, and this material all comes from the Open Doors website as well. It's a divided country. Islam dominates the north and Christianity in the south. In the north, Boko Haram has uh, terrorized Christians for years, including an attack in 2018, which left 106 people dead. Again, the South is predominantly Christian. Uh, the 12 states in northern Nigeria actually practice uh, Sharia law. And in the North, Christians are pressured to not wear a, a cross, not to carry a Bible. Some even will dress like Muslims to avoid uh, persecution. Qualified Christians are often denied employment. Some are asked to give up their faith if they want a job. Uh, Christian homes and churches have been destroyed. And Nigeria is just one of the most violent countries for Christians in the world and actually accounts for 90% of Christian deaths in the 2019 World Watch List reporting period. So those numbers we saw earlier, 90% of those numbers happened in northern Nigeria. Now listen, just the way this is written, it's written kind of as a story, but this is legit about these girls that you're seeing on the screen. A girl sleeps peacefully in, in her school in Chibok, a place where she's able to learn, laugh, with her friends to feel safe. Then one night she's roughly woken by a man who points a gun at her and she's forced into a truck along with many of her friends. It's dark, but she feels the truck move. She doesn't know where she's going or if she will ever return. And that was the story, of course, of the Chibok girls that made headlines when they were abducted uh, five years ago, April 2014. Sadly, their story is not an isolated one. Boko Haram, this uh, terrorist group, this militant Islamic group, who took the Chibok girls are responsible for thousands of deaths and abductions, mainly of Christians. And one woman who was kidnapped but managed to escape said, out of fear, I converted to Islam. 
will Christ accept me back, was her question. And that's just such a tragedy that she would have to ask that. But throughout uh, the country, even when not being directly attacked, Christians in this region are discriminated against. Their communities are often left without basic facilities such as clean water and health clinics, and access to secondary school or higher education is frequently denied to Christians. Then there's a concern. Misguided Christians might react in an inappropriate way. Concern that Christian youths will be tempted to retaliate against their Muslim neighbors, creating a cycle of violence. Yet many Christians are choosing to forgive and to continue to reach out to their communities. And Damaris Atson, whose husband was murdered in anti-Christian riots, said this, I have forgiven, and God will help me to love everybody. It's not easy, but it is God that will give us the grace to love. Those are the words of a woman who lost her husband to persecution. And they're amazing words, because they obviously reflect the very heart of Christ. Uh, So um, China, Nigeria, then um, let's talk about Russia for a few minutes. Um, I think we have uh, this notion that, you know, since the Soviet Union collapsed in 89, uh, that democracy came into Russia and that there's freedom of religion. And there is of a sort, talk about that in a moment. But this article from just a few days ago in Christianity Today, uh, Christians fleeing persecution in Russia can stay in Germany. As evangelicals increasingly become the target of Russia's severe anti-evangelism laws, a German court ruled this month in favor of a Baptist family who fled attacks, insults, and threats in their homeland. So, hooray, Germany. Um, Evangelistically oriented faith uh, group are the ones that are suffering um, under direct government uh, persecution. And while in Russia, a Baptist family suffered repeated insults, physical violence, and threatening phone calls over their missionary activities, and police refused to offer protection, according to the family's lawyer. Uh, they said they were following, uh, being followed, in fact, by young men in black uniforms who were enforcing or persecuting them. Last year, Pentecostals and Baptists faced the most punishments under Russia's anti-missionary laws, which bar adherents from sharing their faith anywhere but designated church sites. The Religious Freedom News Service, Forum 18, shared stories of a Baptist church being raided, a Baptist pastor punished for displaying worship items, and a pair of Baptists charged for discussing their beliefs at a bus stop. The Baptist Union's Moscow Theological Seminary was banned from admitting new students and had to suspend activities for 60 days for alleged activities, in quotes. And um, this is, uh, I mean, this comes right down to real people that, you know, who are alive today, who are meeting, who met this morning for worship. And um, this is a, a group of such people in a town that is, um, they meet in this small house. In fact, we see that. They meet in this small house. And this is, you remember when Sochi, uh, Russia hosted the Olympics in 2014? This town is just a, a few miles down the road from Sochi. And uh, this is their little meeting house uh, for this uh, church. And on April 7th, as some 50 congregants celebrate it, uh, worship law inform, enforcement agents stormed in and interrupted the service. Um, third from the left in that previous picture, we can go back to there. Third from the left is 71-year-old Pastor Yuri Kornienko, and uh, he received a court summons on April 9th and was subsequently charged with engaging in illegal missionary work. And his case will be heard this week, and he faces a hefty fine if convicted just for being the pastor of the church. Now, freedom of religion, I alluded to this, freedom of religion is constitutionally guaranteed in the new Russia. Um, But 
it really only protects the four protected traditional religions in Russia. Orthodoxy, or, you know, Russian Orthodox, Islam, Judaism, and Buddhism. Any other um, sects or smaller faith groups are not protected. So if you have a smaller presence in Russia, including denominations like the Baptists, um, they have been subject to increased scrutiny in recent years. In 2016, Russia introduced a package of laws outlying missionary work outside of officially designated places of worship. It was part of a broader crackdown on minority faiths operating in the country. And they believe that all of this, this is what the Russian government would say, all of these measures against these fringe religions are necessary because of increasing extremism happening in the world today. Now, we all admit that that's happening. Religious extremists are committing terrorist acts and terrorizing the world in any number of different ways. But to use that as a pretext to shut down a small Baptist church near Sochi is ridiculous. But that political pretext for persecuting Christians is exactly what Nero did with the Christians in Rome in AD 64. It's exactly what the religious leaders pled with the Roman leaders to do with Jesus. Better for one man to die than for the whole nation to suffer, they said. And so the idea that Christians get persecuted for very political reasons is actually kind of the standard of how this actually takes place. Sometimes it's a result of mobs and other religious extremists. Sometimes it's government that does these things, but um, it's always motivated by some kind of uh, personal vendetta that they have against the Christians and the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Other pastors, a pastor in uh, Tartarstan had been fined 20,000 rubles, that's $310, for organizing an unsanctioned public gathering. A group of Baptists had assembled that June to watch him baptize their newest member in the Kama River. And um, anyways, there's a lot more. I I could tell you a lot more about that, but I think you get the idea of what's happening in Russia. And so our our last example is is coming out of Mexico, uh, which is, of course, many of you know, a popular tourist destination, especially for people on this side of the world. Um, But Mexico, Mexican Christians are facing significant persecution as well. And pastors and churches face pressure actually coming specifically from criminal gangs and uh, drug cartels, which run out of control in many portions of the country. And one man who's on the screen there is uh, Cheeto Aguilar, who actually has an incredible testimony. He went uh, from drug trafficker to a pastor of a church in Mexico who is now on the front lines of leading his, uh, his fellow believers into the Mexican countryside to proclaim God's word and uh, facing significant persecution to do so. So he was trapped in organized crime for years until one day he was found out and imprisoned for the possession of drugs and money. And while he was in prison, he realized his mistakes. And when he got out, he and his wife gave their lives to Jesus Christ and became born-again followers of Jesus and uh, was called to lead a church uh, in, a, in a city, in an area that is heavily influenced and controlled by criminal gangs and drug cartels that force pastors and churches to pay them for protection, hmm. extorting them out of money that they don't have. And if pastors or churches don't pay, uh, they are significantly threatened and sometimes attacked uh, for not cooperating. And Cheeto specifically has sought to rally the churches and pastors in his his area together, going so far as to organize a meeting with 170 pastors from his city and from around his city to try and get them to stay, 
to try and get them to stay to continue the work that God had called them to in Mexico because many of them were fleeing, fearing their lives and their families' lives. So they met shortly after the meeting. A hundred of the pastors left as they had planned to, while 70 of them now stay back and continue to seek to grow the church and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but in the face of significant persecution from these criminal gangs and drug cartels that the government can't control. Right. All right, so four stories of dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like that. And uh, while these brothers and sisters are under persecution today, living that out, we're here going, okay, we're not under persecution, but the way the culture is going, we see how in, in a generation, perhaps uh, in a very short time, we could be under the same thing. And so how can we best prepare for the coming persecution is our third question. How can we prepare for this? Now, assuming that we're on mission, we love Jesus, and we're on mission to proclaim uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's some things that we can do. First of all, stand for the right things. And I think we kind of, we pounded this nail a little bit in the first message, but we need to stand for the right things. We need to be fighting the right battles. The gospel has to be the reason why you and I are being persecuted, not something else. The gospel is the reason why we would be persecuted, not something else. And Alan Noble said this, as evangelical morality increasingly comes into conflict with the dominant cultural mores, that's what we see happening in our culture today, where we stand on, on moral issues is very different than the way the culture around us stands on those moral issues. Okay? So as that increasingly happens, evangelicals need to be even more careful about the debates we choose to engage in the rights we choose to assert, and the hills we choose to die on. Too much is at stake for evangelicals to waste our resources and credibility on frivolous and occasionally self-provoked injustices. Again, we're not persecuted, and we shouldn't make a big deal about a rainbow crosswalk in downtown Barrie. We just shouldn't. If you're fighting that battle, you're fighting the wrong battle. That's not a gospel battle, okay? That isn't. Imagine defenses drummed up by sensationalists and fear mongers should be exposed and denied. At times, even legitimate offenses should be overlooked. We don't have to fight every battle, even when it's a legit battle. When they're petty, by focusing attention on real and substan uh, substantial incidences of persecution... Evangelicals will be much more effective at educating their neighbors and fighting for truly important matters of religious liberty. And I would add the gospel, just having your neighbors and friends and coworkers be more attracted to a gospel that isn't trying to change their morality, but is trying to introduce them to the Savior. Our goal is to introduce people to Jesus, not reform their behavior. That's not the gospel. It's not. The gospel is life in Christ. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's heaven. That's the gospel. And that's what needs to be preached. So that's the first thing. We want to stand for the right thing. Secondly, we want to maintain an eternal perspective. We need to keep the end in mind. And it's so hard for us because we're so busy making our life comfortable right here. And it is comfortable. 
We gather wealth and we plan vacations and we have our family around us and we have nice homes and drive nice cars and we have to have all these extras in our life and we're so busy focusing on making our lives awesome here that we barely have any time at all to think about what heaven's going to be like. And Jesus wants our focus to be on eternity, not on this world. And so we need to keep the end in mind. And in the midst of his ordeal at the hands of his fellow Jews, Jeremiah was so persecuted for preaching a gospel, that, uh, a message that God had given to him to preach to his people. Jeremiah 20, he said this, but the Lord is with me, no matter how hard it gets. The Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will. They will not overcome me. It looks like they've overcome me. They threw me into a well. They carried me off to Egypt. They made my life really difficult. They persecuted me severely, but they will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. In the moment, it looked entirely like they were going to succeed. But Jeremiah had the long view in mind, and he said, their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. We have to maintain an eternal perspective on these things. Thirdly, we must persevere in our faith. Do you know this, uh, this book, some of you who are older will remember the book, uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Remember that book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff was the subtitle. Um, there is small stuff for sure that you should not sweat. But let me say this, that when you're, you actually work on the small things, the big things become easier to handle. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus said it this way in Luke's gospel, Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. But be faithful with the little thing that you've been given. And then when the big thing comes, you're going to be able to be faithful with that, in fact. And so just something like, let's use an example. We need to be faithful in the small thing. I'm just going to say it this way. The small thing of being baptized. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you get baptized as a testament to your faith in Christ. That's the pattern that the Bible shows us. So when we put the tank up here and we baptize people, that's a small thing because it's not really costing us very much. Not in this culture, not, not, not where we live. It doesn't cost us very much. But you see, if we just do that, if we're faithful to God, he, he says we need to be baptized, so we're going to be baptized. We're just going to obey the scriptures and do that. When the persecution comes and the police show up, at Centennial Beach, because a small group of people have gathered to walk down in the water and baptize somebody at great risk to the person being baptized, the person baptizing them, and all the witnesses. See, we are faithful in a small thing. We baptize people here when it wasn't even really much of a thing. But when the big thing comes, we were faithful. We were faithful with that. Or, or think about the Word of God. I mean, I own, I don't even know how many copies of the Word of God I own. I have a, one whole shelf alongside my desk that's all just Bibles. I might own 20 or 30 Bibles. I don't know how many I own. I own a lot. And a lot of us own a lot of Bibles. But I think about Christians in North Korea who don't even have one single copy of the Word of God and can't access the Word of God on the web. I think about how many of us own multiple copies and never open it. And how much a North Korean Christian would love to have one copy or one portion, just have the New Testament, just have the Gospel of John. 
See, we need to be faithful with a small thing. The small thing is we have the Bible right now. Why aren't we reading it? Why aren't we studying it? Why aren't we memorizing it? Why aren't we living it out? Because a day is coming when all of these copies of the Scripture might be taken away from us. See what I'm saying here? Faithful in a small thing. Persevering in that. You know, Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of our God for your steadfastness, your endurance, your perseverance and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. They were praying, they were worshiping, they were studying the word of God, they were living holy lives. They were persevering in their faith in the midst of the big thing because they had been faithful at the very beginning when there was no persecution. And so I felt like that was slipping into a sermon. I was literally just to say, I think you just went preacher mode. Okay, that's all right. right. That's okay. It was good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks. Here's the fourth one. Is this the fourth one? Keep crying out to God. In the midst of the persecution, don't stop your appeals to God. There's no sense here that you're just supposed to accept the persecution and not plead with God for it to end. And I I would say that people who are under persecution today, they're, they're not like not praying to God to say, God, relieve this, release me from prison, make it, make it a little less difficult for people to, to choose Christ or to come to worship. The number one thing, in fact, that persecution, persecuted Christians say that they need from the church in the West is they need us to pray for them. And the thing that they want us to pray for them is pray that we would persevere Pray that we would make it through this. It was the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians, the title of our series. Paul said, remember my chains. Remember that I'm in jail. Pray for me. That I would have opportunity, that I would endure, that I would be faithful to Christ. And at the very end of the age, in in the last days, we have a picture in Revelation chapter 6 of the martyrs who cry out with a loud voice, Oh, sovereign Lord. Imagine this. They're already before the Lord and they're appealing to him. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're before the Lord and they're still pleading that they would be avenged. Here's the last one. Remember who the enemy is and isn't. And again, we touched on this last week. Leave vindication with the Lord. He will repay in his time. Every single follower of Jesus Christ will be vindicated. In Acts chapter 7, and as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen the first martyr, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, do not hold this sin against them. As people he likely knew were throwing stones at him with their murderous intent, with their anger and their rage, they're throwing stones at him. And he doesn't rail against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen knew who the enemy really was, and it wasn't his persecutors. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He was ushered into the presence of God. Uh, that, that's good stuff to, for us to be remembering as we consider all of these things. And, uh, and then finally, the last question that we have, just kind of an extension of, of all that we've discussed over these past two weeks. Our question is, how can we help those being persecuted around the world today? And uh, it certainly is not just enough for us to know about what's going on around the world. We need to do something about it. 
And, uh, and truly, I believe that this is something that we as a church can really lead the way on. Uh, we can rally around and, and really make this our thing to continue to support practically uh, the people around the world who are facing persecution. And the nature of things is that a time will come when we will be desiring the same support that we hope to give to these people. Mm-hmm. And so should we not be doing that right now? And so four, four things, four ways that you can help those being persecuted around the world today. The first is educate yourself. And uh, we started that process today. And like I mentioned, there are three organizations that are really laying the groundwork for this. Um, or Open Doors is the first one really leading the way in terms of educating the world in terms of what's really going on. Really good website. Fantastic yeah. website. Uh, like I said, they have the world watch list there, which details 50 countries and what's going on there. And uh, it gives you all sorts of details that you can know about situations specifically. Uh, there are also uh, individual situations on there as well. So Open Doors is a great one to look at. Uh, the second is Voice of the Martyrs, another great organization that updates their websites. By the way, we're going to have all of this on hbc.info. Uh, so be sure to check that out at some point in time this week. There will be links to all of these sites there. Uh, but Voice of the Martyrs is a great organization. The third is International Christian Concern at persecution.org. And uh, same thing, details in terms of individual situations of uh, believers in Christ who are being persecuted for the sake of their faith on all three of those sites. So great, it would be great for you to check those out at some point in time this week and uh, to be able to fully grasp the scale of what's going on in individuals' lives all over the world. Second thing that you can do to help believers who are being persecuted is pray. And, and Pastor Todd mentioned it. The one thing that, that persecuted Christians are asking for all over the globe is prayer uh, because they recognize the importance of it and we recognize the importance of it. Amen. That's right. and, and so we should be praying for them. And uh, we're actually, as an action from this series, going to include um, details about individual persecution stories or uh, persecution events in each country that you can pray for on our Prayer Matters Uh, which we send out every single week. I know some of you get that. There are normally prayer points there for each of our ministries that happen here as a church. Uh, So if you haven't signed up for that already, you can do so and uh, get that every week. We'll also have those in our Connect folder prayer lists as well. All three of the organizations that I just mentioned also have prayer points for each of the countries that they are uh, specifically supporting and for the individuals as well. You can check those out on each of the sites too. Third thing you can do is write letters is you can write letters of encouragement to believers who are in the middle of persecution. And uh, Open Doors has a very easy way for you to do that. You can do it digitally right there on their site. Uh, They also outline for you under their Get Involved section uh, the different places that you can write letters, the different points uh, that you can do. So you can actually download a a letter writing guide there as well. Voice of the Martyrs, too, has opportunities for you to write to specific people through their ministry called Prisoner Alert uh, to write to specifically Christians who are imprisoned for their faith uh, and encourage them. And now there's obviously uh, certain things that you must do in order for the letters to actually get to those people. So make sure you check out those sites and, and follow Uh, the different guidelines they've given you for that uh, before you write those letters. And I I think that this would be such a great thing for families in our church to be doing. Parents, this would be great for you Mm -hmm. to do with your kids uh, to not only recognize how blessed we are as a country to be able to experience and exercise our faith as we do, but also to recognize what people are going through around the world and kind of give them that understanding, that context, I think would be a really great thing. It'd be great for you to pick a country or a situation, an individual, uh, to pray for them, to write letters to them, and to understand what it is that's going on in their lives. And finally, the last thing you can do is uh, financially support individuals who are experiencing persecution. The best way to go about doing that would be to give to the organizations that are on the ground doing that. And uh, all of them, of course, are nonprofits. Uh, They rely on donations uh, made by people like us. So anything that you can do to support the work that those groups are doing, I'm sure will be a significant blessing uh, to them for sure. 
And of course, the importance of, of, of doing all of this uh, for us is twofold. First, it's to uh, understand what's happening around the world so that we're prepared should it make its way over here. And we understand that there is a time coming when it will. Uh, it's to realize how blessed we are by God to be in the country, to have the freedoms that we do. But then also, it is to fire up your passion for Jesus Christ and for the proclamation of the gospel here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that we can do so without facing significant persecution. Sir, you may face opposition from individuals. You may face pushback. But it's nothing compared to what these people are doing. That's right. So our hope and prayer is that this, this time, this series is challenging you, is challenging your faith. And it's impossible to read these situations and not be, truthfully. Uh, so make sure that you do that. Spend some time doing Like I said, that'll all be in hbc.info. So check that out sometime this week. Great. And that, that's awesome content. And, and we just thought that a perfect way to wrap this up would be for us to take the Lord's table, but to do so in a way that connects us with these brothers and sisters around the world. And, and one of the things about the Lord's table, I've said this before, is that it, it wouldn't matter what, what country or cultural context you were in or what language was being spoken if the bread and the cup were brought out, you would know right away that what you were doing was the Lord's table, and you would know that you were with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we call it the Lord's table mostly around here, but it's also called communion because the Lord Jesus actually told us that we were to take this table together, that it's a community thing that we do. And what we want to do with the table today is we really want to extend that out from here in this room and this body of Christ to think about those brothers and sisters in Mexico and in China and in Russia and in Nigeria. And so I want to remind you of those stories and those people. And as you take the table here this morning, I want you to imagine you're with them, that you're taking the bread with them, that you're taking the cup with them, that we are indeed one body, no matter what our race is, whatever the color of our skin is, no matter what language we speak, what part of the world we grow, grew up in, we're one body of Christ as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to take this table together, one body, Christ is the head.